internet dwellers and welcome back to Top Shelf Disney Animation Studios Library where each episode we watch a movie from the very specific library of films animated by the Disney Animation Studios starting with Snow White and catching all the way up to the most recent, at least as of recording this episode, Moana. I am your host for this bonus episode, TCD Wits. Jeff has a week off um, recovering from... Uh, our rewatch of Beauty and the Beast. It actually marked. This is this is a this is a fun fact. It actually marked the five thousandth time that Jeff watched Beauty and the Beast, and uh, Disney got wind of that, and they showed up, and they whisked him away on an all-expense-paid vacation to a uh, poor provincial town in France where everyone speaks English. He'll he'll fit right in. It's fine. It's uh, well. We'll be back to our regular schedule. And the first film in our fourth set of movies, Aladdin. If you want to catch up on episodes you might have missed, you can check out everything we've done so far on YouTube, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, or ghosthat.net, where there are, um, where all the episodes are right there for your enjoyment with fun little posters and, and whatnots. But uh, but we don't, we don't want to leave you hanging this week. So today I am once again trying a solo a bonus episode where I will be answering your questions and your comments and messages and tweets and telegrams and just uh, conversations I've had with people off mic. So yeah, um, wish me luck. I am once again recording this live and I appreciate, I, I, I'm surprised. Uh, maybe it went over well the last time I did this, but I have I have a lot of questions and comments to discuss, so I will try to get to them all. I'm not going to make this too long. You don't, no, no one, no one needs to listen to just just me alone for an hour. Um, no, I, I, I probably could talk for an hour straight, but let's let's just see what we let's see what we cover here. So, uh, thank you everyone who commented and tweeted and whatnot. Um, you can tweet at me at TC's Big Head, or if you comment on the Facebook page where we uh, post every week when we're about to record and when the episodes go up, and you can comment there. And since we've been doing this, we are 30 episodes deep. There are a bunch of questions and tweets that we never got to, um, mostly because a lot of the, the tweets and whatnot come in after we've recorded. Um, and uh, also just hitting up some of the comments that we never got around to. So I'm, I'm just going to th- thumb through the, the threads here and see what... Uh, Thumb through? Yeah, I guess if I was using my mobile, I'd be thumb. Oh, anyway. <laughs> uh, I will be hitting up all the questions now. So uh, first one that I have here is from our good friend uh, at Dig Dig Hi Ho. Great start, TC. You're doing amazing. Dig 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 Hi Ho. Hi Ho. Hi Ho. Hi. Which dwarf... Would make the best point of view character in a redux of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Now, Doc, maybe I suppose Doc is the leader of the group, so he would having some sort of uh, a memoir of his time living with Snow White um, would probably be the best he could he could offer insight onto all the characters. Not not that I think Snow White needs a complex look at the dwarves themselves but because they all have such distinct personalities it might be interesting to see the the through the lens of the dwarves uh, i have said it before i think if i live to see it if any of us live to see it that the 100th disney animated film will be snow white snow white and the seven dwarves was the first and they only were able to accomplish what we saw on screen there was a whole bunch of ideas just tossed out by Walt himself, and I think the best way to honor what started it all would be when you hit that centennial film, that 100th film, that's going back and not, I don't, yeah, doing another Snow White. I'm, I'm anyone who's listened to this or my other podcast, Three Watchmen, knows I have feelings about remakes and and reboots, but I don't think all of them are a bad idea, and that, that would be my pitch for for a, a hundredth film for the Disney anime. So, no, so the, no, that didn't exactly answer your character. Doc probably would be the the character to Bilbo Baggins the whole story, right? He's the leader, so there you go. Uh, moving on, um, I have a comment here. Oh, shoot, I forgot to write. Who wrote this one now? Uh, thoughts on the Tim Burton Dumbo remake? <sighs> Orphan, elephant, big ears can fly. Boom, there you go. What's... What are we going to explore here? <laughs> um, 
So my, my thoughts on the Dumbo remake, which I have made apparent over the course of this podcast series is <laughs> no thanks. Uh, moving on, Aaron, again on our Facebook page. Uh, oh, and this is from Bambi. Oh, this, is, this is cute. I had never seen Bambi all the way through until I watched it after listening to your cast. Oh, my God. Bambi's mom dies. <laughs> I, I Okay, I'm still quoting here. I know that's like the most famous death ever, but I'd never seen the scene before. I thought she was just gone suddenly. My dad had always skipped the chapter on the DVD. Oh, my God. I called him up and yelled at him for sheltering me. That's hilarious. And then a couple frowny face emojis. <laughs> so I actually have a friend, my, my friend Cliff, um, I visited him this is quite a few years ago. He, he had a, his little daughter was obsessed with Bambi. She would watch it five times a day, but he always skipped over the dark chapters in the middle there. So he went from grazing in the field with his mom, experiencing the the autumn and the into the winter, and then once winter was not a part of this girl's memory i don't know if she's gone back and watched it but much like you aaron she she may go back and see it and be very shocked to discover that that is a very sad scene it is such a pop cultural thing it's a touchstone in in i I feel like it's a pretty well-known well-known thing that happens that bambi's mom dies but i'm glad you finally got around to seeing the whole thing and um i'm sorry that your dad sheltered you like that but i'm sure that was a rather fun experience for you as the movie's playing out you probably had a a nice memory of it and all of a sudden what is happening (laughs) there's something rather amusing about watching people witness something entertainment wise obviously the to see something in the the realm of film or television and whatnot and, and knowing what's going to happen and seeing how people are going, <gasps> what? Baby's mom? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's, uh, that's fun. <laughs> so there you go, Aaron. Thank you for listening. Um, on to our Fantasia episode. Um, Sarah. 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 Another Sarah. Did I have a Sarah earlier? I don't think it's the same Sarah. Baglioni. Bag- oh, boy. I just butchered your name. Sarah with an H. I'm in my early 30s, and I grew up watching our VHS of Fantasia, but to this day, I still can't watch the dinosaur segment. The moment of the T-Rex fighting, then killing the poor Stegosaurus literally makes me cry. Ugh, heartbreaking to crying emojis. I used to have to skip that section as well. There's there's a question coming up later in the I, that I saw earlier about the horrifying images or the scary images in the Disney library, and man, that fight... Is brutal. I. It goes to something that Jeff and I have discussed previously on the on on the show, that there's a difference between kids movies and family movies. When kids movies, kids and which kids movies are perfectly great. Like you can watch the the Sesame Street or the Muppet the, the not the Muppet film, the Sesame Street films with Elmo, and those are specifically geared towards children. Kids movies. They are. They are cutesy and often educational and simplistic in their entertainment they're kids they're kids movies right family movies are for the whole family you uh, pixar's the the end all be all perfect example of this and certainly many 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 films in the disney animation library here are there's something for everyone and the the better that is that is mixed together the more successful a film if you look at something like uh, Beauty and the Beast or Little Mermaid. There's something for the adults. There's something for the kids. There's something for everyone in between. Uh, but then, if you look at something like Oliver and Company, that's far. That leans far too in, far too much towards appeasing parents um, or trying to capture. A, who who is that movie for? Right. It's it's. But uh, well, with Fantasia, I'm just gonna stop bashing on Oliver and Company. For Fantasia, it's. It's an experience, and it's and it's an odd movie as well in that it comes after Bambi and Snow White and Pinocchio, which are on their surface more kid-friendly films. They're more kid films than adult films, but Fantasia is so much more complex of a film. It's got such deeper ideas. It's much more ambitious 
in that it's not a narrative. It's just it's a it's a it's a performance. It's a it's a you're watching the symphony for the night, and that's not exactly kid friendly. Even even looking at something like the Sorcerer's Apprentice in there, that's still kind of got some scary elements to it. Or uh, I think the most kid friendly thing in the whole of Fantasia would be the the hippos and the alligators and the ostriches and the elephants doing the ballet. Um, that's probably the most kid friendly thing in the whole in the whole of Fantasia. The rest of it is very not kid-friendly and when you look at something like that the dinosaur segment where the t-rex kills the stegosaurus is a is kind of a it's frightening you're not wrong even now it's a even when we rewatched it i was impressed by the the gravity of emotion that is happening in that scene um, and then watching the the dinosaur solely go extinct so <laughs> i don't i don't blame you sarah for <laughs> for not being able to watch that scene because yes i agree it's the oh man, the way his head flaps, and then it flaps again. That poor Stegosaurus. But hey, T Rex has got to eat too, right? <laughs> All right. So moving on, uh, comment on our Saludos Amigos and oh, it's on Three Caballeros, but it's about Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros. Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros are such strange movies with live-action footage. Why do they count in the library, but movies like Song of the South and Mary Poppins do not? Very fair question. This is something that we addressed real quickly when we decided on this specific library of films. Because there are a number of Disney movies with animation that don't fall into this very specific studio label. And uh, Disney themselves created this this canon, this canonical library. Uh, not not in canon that they're all connected, but that they it's these specific entries into this specific library. And something like Mary Poppins and Song of the South are they they are mo- they are live action movies that have animated pieces to it. Song of the South is not an animated film; it just has. When Uncle Remus tells the stories of Briar Rabbit and Briar Bear, Briar Fox, those are the animated sequences. But it's, I, I don't know what the percentage is off the top of my head, but it's not an animated film with some live action. With Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros, they count because Disney counts them. We we didn't make this list. We didn't make the decision that they would go on there. But yeah, there's there's there are those odd movies in this animation library that have more than have live action them I and not just animation the uh, dinosaur which we're going to be hitting i think in this coming set of films the uh, the fourth set of 10 has live action plates with with cg animation over it uh, we'll discuss that when we get there but that's that is an odd thing something that happened very in the in the modern era of animation is the movie Happy Feet won the Best Animated Film Oscar uh, over Pixar. I can't remember which Pixar it is off the top of my head, but Pixar was very upset with that because Happy Feet utilized motion capture technology. All the dancing, uh, Savion Glover dancing as the main character, um, and all the dance sequences that, that take place in Happy Feet are motion capture. And Pixar animates everything from scratch. They don't use rotoscoping. They don't use motion capturing. In fact, after that happened, uh, Pixar will put at the end of every one of their, except Wally, except Wally, because Wally does have Fred Willard in it, uh, and some clips from Hello Dolly. But aside from that, all the Pixar movies will specifically state in the, the one of the last things that rolls through the credits is that. Every frame of this film was hand, was was drawn, was created. No motion capture techniques or shortcuts, as I believe they call it, were used in the creation of this film, quote-unquote, the, the Pixar film in question, whatever Pixar film you might be watching. Trying to maintain an element of classic animation when the classic animation where everything was completely hand-drawn was not necessarily how they kicked things off because Snow White utilized rotoscoping where they filmed live-action performances and then had the animators 
animate cells over Snow White, the prince, and I believe the queen as well. The, the dwarves were all created from scratch, I suppose is the easiest way to say it. Um, but yeah, rotoscoping was a technique used throughout animation. We, uh, we still see elements of that in the films we've watched of recently, but there is a very, there's a lot of de- determination from animators to, to create wholly original pieces. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a con- constant debate. What, what, it's also a debate similar to, well, computer animation has replaced hand-drawn animation. Is that the same? It's just an ever-evolving monster of, of, of filmmaking. Um, so, so with with the live action in Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros, that was that was strange. Not as strange as I believe it's fun and fancy free with uh, Mickey and the Giant and um, Bongo in that one, but it's got the the ventriloquist dummies. Oh, <laughs> I know Jeff was all excited because he loves the old school Abbott Costello era entertainers, but those cre- that creepy uh, goosebumps uh, dummy <laughs> dummies. Bah. <laughs> that that was um an interesting use of live action elements in there uh, but i think a couple actually come to think of it a couple of the package films did utilize some live action elements as well but uh, for for my part i'm with you it is strange that they that they do count within this and i am all for straight up animation uh, i don't want to see live action elements all right, so uh, moving on. Oh, and speaking of fun and fancy free, Jessica Swenson. Hello, Jessica. Thank you for listening. Uh, she commented and says, I have to agree that Mickey is not one of my favorite characters, and I've personally never understood his allure. To me, he's forced upon me. Yeah, he's kind of the everyman, but really I find the challenge. Uh, I find the challenges he faces are not as difficult to overcome as other characters. You know that Mickey will always, always, always win. He suffers very little loss. His challenges are fluffy in comparison to others. So me, Mickey, is a bit entitled and whiny. Uh, I, um, I can appreciate that he's the face of Disney and is absolutely iconic. Uh, I get that completely, but whenever his character's on the screen, I'm frustrated at how easy everything is for him. I completely agree with you, Jessica. Did be Mickey comes with no stakes, uh, and it's and it's tough to really invest yourself in a character that you know is going to be completely fine. Um, yeah, it's like something like like Kermit um, in some of the Muppet films. They do a good job in Kermit is portraying a character in the Muppet films, um, as uh, well not the more the more the most recent Muppet movie, or well. The Muppets Most Wanted, not that one. The one before that, the Jason Segel one, he's playing Kermit the Frog, right? But the previous Muppet films, and I'm using Kermit as an example because he's the he is the face of the Muppets. And in previous films, he's always portraying a character in the film so that you can have stakes in the adventure that's going to play out. It's it's Jim Henson, and you know that they're going to walk a certain line, so there's not anything terribly uh, uh, tragic in the in the in the horizon for any of these characters but with with Mickey you're right he's he's a very sheltered character he is he is the the iconic 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 symbol and Walt went out of his way to continuously try to keep Mickey as the the, the face of Disney it's um Sorcerer's Apprentice was originally designed to be dopey and Walt was like you know what no we need we need Mickey. Mickey should be up front. But it is hard to pick. It is hard to root for the guy, in so much as you know everything's going to be fine. Uh, that's just that's just storytelling technique in general. If you know if you know a character is going to be fine, how do you create weight in what you're watching, right? And there's there's nothing wrong with the the simple entertainment of you know that they're that a character is going to get through it, right? It's just it's just uh, what are you what are your expectations in watching a film? And then you can accept the adventure that they go on. A series of unfortunate events uh, for a character, and I mean that in general, not 
the show, Lemony Snicket. I mean, a series of events for a character can be just as entertaining as anything. Look at something like, I mean, I'll, I'll tap into uh, old school, like like uh, like Jeff might, might appreciate, but the Three Stooges. You know exactly what you're going to get with the Three Stooges. They have a different profession. They're going to go through the motions. Abbott and Costello, they're going to be different professions. They're going to go through their adventure. You know, they're going to be, they're going to, it's just a matter of watching them go through their adventure and that's fine but the the more the better stories for me are when yes i know these characters are going to be okay so how do you tell me a story it's it's sorry gathering my thoughts here on the fly um prequels prequel films to me don't work more often than they do work um, and a good example of, of that is, we'll just use pre- the original prequels, right? You can look at the Star Wars, Episode 1, 2, and 3. Do I really need to see this story? Was this a story anyone really wanted? We know where all these characters are going to end up. So how how um, uh, how enjoyable is it going to be to see them get from here to here to here, especially when it's so heavy-handedly, heavy, heavy-handed? A great thing to come out of the Star Wars prequels is the Clone Wars series and Rebels. Because though we are following, well, particularly in Clone Wars, we are following characters we know. We know the history of, we know they're going to make it out fine. Okay. Uh, watching that unravel for Anakin and his his journey to becoming Darth Vader, it's, it's compelling. But the best episodes of the Clone Wars are the episodes not about Obi-Wan and Anakin or Sidious or any or Dooku like it, the best episodes are about the clones there's a group of of clones that we see over the course of the series that well you don't know what happens to these characters and by not knowing that even though you you understand how the the universe is going to go you know how this story has to end for a lot of these characters inserting characters you don't know or you don't have uh, all the facts about that makes for more compelling and engaging and nail-biting circumstances. Um, yeah, Mickey, Mickey's <laughs> Mickey's great. Mickey's cute. Mickey's fine. Mickey's boring. Uh, I, I will always be amused by the early Steamboat Willie era Mickey stuff, but the more the more the face of the company he became, the less. Enjoyably, he became to watch. That's I'll, I'll take Goofy. I'll take Donald. I'll take. I'll even take Pluto because puppies are are fun. <laughs> All right. So at at Joel Joel Joel. <laughs> I'm gonna get. The, oh, it's Joel and then your name backwards. So it's Jolio Joel Joel <laughs> Joel Joel. Would you want? Rodent and bird helpers like Cinderella. What? <laughs> uh, there's a great scene in Enchanted. The um, it's, that's a Disney film uh, with Amy Adams, where she plays I think Princess Giselle, where she comes to the real world, but she brings her animated Disney trope mentality, and then she cleans Patrick Dempsey's apartment with rats and birds, and it's real rats and birds, so it's like disgusting, but at the same time. They're doing what all the animated Disney rodents and birds do. So, yeah, I, I mean, if they were as as sentient and um, intelligent as the rodents and birds in Cinderella, heck yeah, I want some. Hey, guys, I will hook you up with little miniature clothes. I will feed you uh, when you need the food. But can you get the? You want to get the lawn for me today? You wanna you wanna help me fold this laundry? Yeah, who wouldn't want a bunch of of helper friends who are willing to uh. <laughs> would you want some rodents and okay do they come with their diseases if they if we're mm, okay like cinderella they're like cinderella i'm taking that to mean that they are as as lovable and as cute and not disgusting as the cinderella rodents and birds so yes yes i would all right so brandon on our alice in wonderland episode you guys were really hard on Alice in Wonderland. Have you reconsidered it from a different point of view? Do you really dislike it that much? Uh, no, 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 no. Um, yes, we were. I, I think I was more difficult on, or more. I think I was harder on Alice in Wonderland than Jeff was, um, and it could be 
I often say what we bring into a viewing of a movie will affect our review of it. That's just goes without saying. But uh, if I had had I had had a rough week leading up to watching it, so I just don't think I was in the mood. So have I reconsidered it from a different point of view? Yes, I really genuinely appreciate the animation in that film. It is it is so clean and well realized. The characterization of all the characters in that film is so expertly handled and it's and, and it's the definitive Alice in Wonderland. There is no better version of Alice in Wonderland than the Disney one. Uh, so some might argue with me that, but I, I, I defy you to find a better one. The, the Tim Burton one certainly isn't. <laughs> the, uh, the BBC one is weird, weird, kind of gross. Not in like an inappropriate way, but just because it's just a little too real. Now, the Alice in Wonderland, the Disney animated one, is the definitive, definitive one. So, Brandon, yes, I have reconsidered it, and I do, I do genuinely like it. I don't, I, I, I'll leave it wherever rank I have it in. Um, yeah, th- it's the definitive Alice in Wonderland. There's no, there is zero doubt about that in my mind. All right, so Wyatt, you asked on Sleeping Beauty. The theory I have is actually a question. What is Maleficent? Is she a fairy? Is she a demon? Does she have connections to Cernabog Fantasia? Or is she an evil fairy godmother? I can't remember if we answered this in the episode, but what is she? She's she's a dark fairy in that world, and uh, she does she have connections to Cernabog? This, this, no, 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 maybe... Uh, Jeff and I were trying to we were we were discussing which of the movies are connected in a similar universe. So, for example, in the more recent movies, Frozen and Tangled and Tarzan and Little Mermaid have all been connected through various Easter eggs. Uh, Belle shows up in I believe Hunchback of Notre Dame is just like a character in the background, um, and. But then Belle, all, Belle, okay, yes, yes. So Belle shows up in Hunchback of Notre Dame, which would connect those two. But she reads Sleeping Beauty. She's aware of fairy tales, so she's separate from those other universes, <laughs> I guess. Um, is Maleficent connected to Cernabog? No, but we will get a connection to Cernabog and Bambi in a future film. Hopefully I remember to hopefully I remember to come back to that when we get to it. But I do like the idea that uh, that Maleficent would go toe to toe with the fairy godmother or the blue fairy, which reminds me we need to do an updated wizards duel because we have a whole mess of magic users coming up in the next set of films. <laughs> uh, Maleficent beat out than the last one, but I don't know, we got like Ursula, Triton, um, Jafar's coming up. There's some there's a lot more magic users coming down the pipe that uh, I should, I should make a new bracket system for that, so keep an eye out on that. Well, I'll keep you posted on that. So, All right, so John Klein says, You you claimed Lady and the Tramp's spaghetti moment is the most pop-culturally significant Disney moment. I would argue that Pinocchio's nose or hi-ho is more significant. Very, very fair point. I, I pointed out the, the noodle moment in Lady and the Tramp as the most well-known it's so ingrained in pop culture there's people who've never seen lady and the tramp that that know that so I, I felt like that was pretty pretty important to the the zeitgeist but john's arguing here that pinocchio's nose growing or hi-ho are more significant because i mean how many of us go to work how many people say hi-ho all the time hi-ho hi-ho it's off to work i go yeah yeah, I'll give you I'll give you that one. And Pinocchio's nose growing. Disney made that famous in the film, but Pinocchio's nose, I believe, did grow in the original book. So that might just be bringing it to people's attention, not so much well, popularizing it. They didn't coin it, but they popularized it. I suppose would be. Yeah, I think just in general, that's just the influence of Disney. That there are so many things we just know as a culture because of Disney. Uh, And not just Disney. There's plenty of of memes in in our reality that we we know just by... So 
Here, well, I had a little, little, uh, little definition, a little, little fun with words time. The word meme comes from the study of memetics. If you're, if you're ever wondering what the word meme comes from, it comes from memetics. Memetics is the study of, what is it? It's the study of ideas that spread like viruses, right? So um, something that, like something that becomes, that spreads and becomes so known by everyone that you forget where it came from is, is, uh, and trying to trace the origin of that, that's memetics, is trying to find and tr find the origin and trace trends and things that are popular. And uh, the meme goes hand in hand with Kermit the Frog drinking his champagne and uh, Willy Wonka or uh, uh, Michael Jackson eating the popcorn. Those That's what you think of when you think of memes. But memes can go so far as uh, the spaghetti noodle moments in Lady and the Tramp. You eat spaghetti, you think of it. That's just part of it, whether you've seen Lady and the Tramp or not. Um, so there are there are more than more than a fair share of things from these Disney movies that are so significant to just our our culture. Uh, but I, I I I will stand by my Lady and the Tramp spaghetti moments because I just feel like so many people know that without ever having seen the movie or even the moment itself. So, but I'm curious if if anybody. Actually, I probably should have said this ages ago throughout the course of this recording. Feel free to disagree with me. Feel free to comment uh, what you think about just to say, hey, this is what I think about this, the, what's the most pop culturally significant moment. But you can send it my way, uh, Twitter or on the Facebook page where I will post this episode. So over at Twitter again, at Shady, Shady Your Mouth, Shut It, Shady Your Mouth, Shady Your Mouth. Shut, shut your mouth. Okay, shut your mouth. Okay. <laughs> uh, I know you're against sequels, but what about the Arthur legend as a trilogy? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I have said, I said this, I said this on the, the Sword and Stone episode. Yes, I think that there there was, and actually it goes back to that letter I wrote Disney when I was in sixth grade, which was, why don't you tell more stories about the Arthur legend. They only told the first book. Um, and and, and oh, maybe did I, someone else ask this, a reboot or a remake of the Arthur legend would be, you know what? How about this? Okay, sorry. I, 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 okay, here's an idea for another Sword in the Stone series. Oh boy, this is both a good idea and a bad idea. Bear with me, I just just popped in my head. They could do a movie with Merlin. Merlin has the ability to travel through time and space. He's essentially Doctor Who of the Disney animated universe. You could use him to travel and connect all the movies, right? You don't, I mean, hell, uh, uh, Kingdom Hearts connects all the Disney movies through portals and whatnot. Merlin could do that at a snap of his finger. You want to go over here? Boom. Let's go over here. You want to go over here? Boom. You want to go over here? Go visit this. Go visit that. I mean, him and Genie could hang out. Or, you know what? Let, okay, here's the idea. Uh, Merlin and Arthur traveling through the Disney time and space in a medieval Rick and Morty Doctor Who-esque series. I would watch that as as a series of shorts. Uh, not uh, <laughs> Just not as graphic and rated R as Rick and Morty. But there you go. There, so I am not against sequels. I do think there, there's more to explore with Merlin and Arthur, but is that the idea? I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, what would we call that? Merlin and Arthur and Art, Art and Merlin? Hashtag Art and Merlin. There we go. Rick and Morty, Art and Merlin. Mm -hmm. Plus you bring uh, Archimedes along for, for the, some comic relief as well. There you go. <laughs> Scarlet Starkey asks one question, although there's been quite a few bad Disney sequels. So, okay, so this actually goes hand in hand with what was just asked. Are there any you wouldn't mind watching for this for this series. I do have a soft spot for, and someone else had mentioned this a couple episodes ago, Aladdin 3. Because Robin Williams came back, I, um, Dan Castanella did the voice of, of um, Genie in the second Aladdin movie, and he did it for the cartoon series as well. But Rob Williams actually came back for Genie in the third Aladdin, and if only for more Robin Williams, not to tip my hand for how I feel about Aladdin in general, since that's next week's episode, 
Uh, yeah. I would like to watch, maybe as a bonus episode, I don't know, um, we could watch some of these sequel movies, but The Lion King 2, because I know so many people who love The Lion King 2. I, I had never seen The Lion King 2. I remember uh, a friend had a Disney trivia game, like a Disney animation trivia game. This was probably like 10 years ago. And I was all excited because I know me some Disney. I'm going to do great at this game. And like every other freaking question was about Lion King 2 of all movies. I, it must have just been come out and been popular or something. But it was driving me nuts that every freaking question is like, uh, Kubo, is that his name? Kubo? Kujo? Kubo? The, the Scars kid uh, feels this. and nah, I, I want to watch that movie to see if it actually is good has what so many people like to think it could be like a um <laughs> some of these movies we've gone back to and been like ooh like Oliver and Company this isn't as good as people think it is so of of the sequel films yeah I, really not the sequel films but the um some of the movies we're not watching like Goofy movie I love the Goofy movie and I would if only it was part of this library of films maybe that's a bonus episode for you guys that I could do without do on my own all right, now we have a comment from our Jungle Book episode from Nick Collins is on Facebook. Jeff, I can save Jungle Book for you. I, this goes really well with what we've just been talking about. Uh, so uh, Jeff, this is for you. This is from Nick. He says, what about Team Up crossover films? Bongo and Baloo traveling the country wilderness. <laughs> and then he lists two more. But first, so Bongo the bear, who's the circus bear who gets lost or jumps off his train goes into the wilderness and blue who obviously is the the jungle bum blue and bongo traveling the countryside together jeff you a, a road movie uh a in the style of bob hope and bing crosby blue the bear and bongo the bear there you go that that there then you will like blue and then you will like the jungle book all from Nick Collins. There you go, Nick. Thank you. But he did he did mention two other team up movies, Belle and Ariel exploring Lara Croft style. <laughs> so I don't know. Does that mean they become adventuring archaeologist explorers? I think I'd watch that. Ariel does not know the world. Belle does know the world, but hasn't seen it. So a Belle and Ariel adventure. Like Indiana Jones, Lara Croft exploring the world. Oh yeah, I, I'm down for that crossover film. And then the other one he has is uh, this one's good, Dodger and Pongo as the odd couple. Yeah. So Dodger from Oliver and Company, who is just a slimeball con man, and Pongo, who is now now you'd have to. I wonder if you'd have to place this before Pongo is wed, is married, right? So it's single Pongo. Pongo's just cool. He's a nice guy. I don't think that falls into the odd couple of Felix and Oscar like you're you're saying here, Nick, but they are an odd couple to match up. Really, I think if you had up oh, there you go. It's a a in the style of Family Matters, 101 Dalmatians, family sitcom, Dodger is the annoying neighbor who comes over like, Hey, Mr. P, how's it going? <laughs> Mr. Pongo, what's going on? And he's the uh, the bad influence on the kids. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. <laughs> All right, so here's what we got, folks. We got a, a Merlin and Arthur, uh, Rick and Morty style time and space adventure. We got a uh, a Bongo and Baloo, Bing Crosby style road road movies. We got Ariel and Bell exploring like <laughs> Indiana Jones, and a, and a Pongo, a Hundred One Dalmatians sitcom with a with the Ridiculous neighbor Dodger. There you go. Was there another one on there? I can't remember. Hmm. Oh, and also there's a, a siren going by right now that I'm not going to be able to edit out. Yay for crime. <laughs> yeah. All right. So moving back over to Twitter, we have at Steel of Man. Clever. Like it. What is the most what is the most forgettable movie that we've watched in the library so far? Mine is Aristocats. That was Steel, Steel of Man says Aristocat. What is the most forgettable movie? If I take the package movies out of the equation, I think Aristocats might be it. Um, yep, yep, you're you are right. It's it's gonna be Aristocats. Aristocats is the most forgettable of the movies, at least in my opinion. I'm agreeing with you, Steel Man. Uh, 
some of those package movies would probably qualify as well from Saludos Amigos, Three Caballeros, all the way up to Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, just because they are a series of shorts. There's there's too much and also not enough to those. But in terms of the full-blown motion, like complete film stories, it would be, yeah, <laughs> Aristocats. That is the most forgettable one, huh? Huh. Yeah, Aristocats, good one. Uh, how about you guys out there? Feel free to comment. What do you, what do you feel are the most forgettable? Not the worst ones. I'm I'm not gonna say it's the worst of the movies. I'm just gonna say it's the most forgettable of the movies. Um, sticking with at uh, over at Twitter. At, oh, Fluffy make Fluffy make puppy pants. One of our tweeters original uh, started really early in the series. He's the one who came up with the wizards duel. And yes, he's asking for an update on that. That that's that seals it. I will get a new bracket up for our Wizards duel to find out. God, I want this video game, people. Somebody, somebody out there. I'm just gonna keep putting it out there into the cosmic consciousness. I want a Street Fighter versus Capcom style or a Marvel versus Capcom style Wizards duel side scrolling fighting game. Give it to me and Fluffy McPuppy uh, Pants. <laughs> keep saying Poopy Pants. Thank you for your tweet that that initiated the Wizards duel. Uh, let's see. Uh, Thomas, favorite song from each of the three brackets. Oh, oh man, I should have I should have looked at this one. I can't. I don't think I can do this off the top of my head. Favorite song. Favorite song. Favorite song. Um, Party Your World, hands down, just kicks it as a song. God, that song's so good. Uh, I'm just chatting with other. Friends of musical theater background of the Disney Animated Library, the songs. Party World comes up again and again for people's favorite songs. Bell, Bell is the best exposition song. Uh, I Want to Be Like You from Jungle Book is that's pretty good, too. Um, of the classics, I'd say Once Upon a Dream from Sleeping Beauty. I know you, I walked with you once upon a and uh, And of of course, got to go old school here. The When You Wish Upon a Star is a, a beautiful song. And it's funny, interesting, I was I was just looking at the lyrics for When You Wish Upon a Star for another project, and when you wish upon a star, it makes no difference who you are. When you wish upon a star, your dreams come true. That is such a, a beautiful sentiment. doesn't matter who you are. If you dream, if you wish, if you try. You know what? I'm going to go part of your world. I... I there's just such a momentum and a build and a passion to that song, sung beautifully by Jody. Uh, that's uh, Ashman making. It's just the top of the game of Disney songs up to this point. TBD on the rest of the library there. So that's off the cuff. Uh, I, I, if I had seen this one before I had started, I would have made a list, but. Um, I'm going to go with that just off the top of my head. Roberts from the Facebook page. I truly enjoyed Robin Hood. I'd never seen it before watching it with you guys, and I loved the Zootopia connection. Would you want more movies set in an all-animal universe? I guess this goes with the conversation we were having earlier. Yes. What? You know what? Yes. Why not? I want one more. I want one more of the Robin Hood Zootopia universe at some other time period. Uh... Oh, shoot, you know what? We're going to get that. I'm getting what I'm asking for, and I'm not going to like it. There's there's another movie coming. <laughs> oh, no. There's another movie coming down the line that uh, that fits this mold of, of the all-animal films. Okay. Yeah, I do want it, and I don't want it. I do want it if it was, if it was up to me to pick some other era, because you got the the swashbuckling era of Robin Hood. You got the modern era of Zootopia. Somewhere in the middle there, it'd be cool to see something in the all-animal universe. Good question, Robert. Thanks for listening. Um, here's a comment from... Looks like Stacy T. Thank you for the Winnie the Pooh episode. It has been a really crappy week. Personal issues. And after listening to you guys, I went and watched the movie, and I was just so happy at the end. I had never considered how... Just how how just sweet how just sweet the movie is so kind and heartwarming. I've watched it three times since, just playing in the background while I work around the house. I've already jumped ahead 
to the sequel and it makes me smile and smile. I don't know if it's my favorites, favorite with a U, you're British or Australian, you have a U in your favorite, favorite movie, but uh, I don't know if it's my favorite movie of the lot. Jeff, it's Sleeping Beauty, Smiley, or no, it's Beauty, sorry, Jeff, comma, it's Beauty and the Beast, Smiley Face, but it's one of the most perfect to watch and feel happy movies. I love the show, subscribed and loving it, and also, yes, Jeff, also, yes, Jeff, do more Gaston voice. That makes me smile for a different reason, winky face. I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, there you go, Jeff. The fans are demanding more Gaston voice. Don't overdo it. I think, uh, I think you should just tease it with them every now and then. Because <laughs> that's like the third person to compliment Jeff on his Gaston voice. Um, and actually, there's a comment coming up about that as well. So, uh, But Stacy, I'm glad you, you found some enjoyment with Winnie the Pooh. And I, and I can really appreciate the having a movie, like an uplifting movie, you can just pop on and, and put a smile on your face. And uh, I'm happy that we, we, we sent you in that direction because uh, I don't know if you'd ever even considered watching it before, but that's great. Uh, well, actually, you said you never considered it just how good the movie is, or sweet the movie is. So you're very welcome. I'm glad you found enjoyment in it. Let's go over to Twitter. A Man Called Jane, good name, Firefly reference. I saw there isn't, I say there isn't enough rescuers. Chip and Dale proved people want rodent heroes for at least 65 episodes. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I have not gone back and rewatched Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. I've gone back and watched Gummy Bears, Gargoyles, Darkwing Duck and DuckTales in the past couple of years. Uh, Gummy Bears, uh, I don't know if it holds up. Um, interestingly, a lot of those episodes are only like 10 minutes long. Uh, Gargoyles held up wonderfully. DuckTales held up spectacularly. That show is still amazing. Um, and Darkwing Duck as well has a lot of fun to it, although it doesn't, it could be just that I watched a, a lower resolution version of it, but um, I haven't gone back and watched Chippendale Rescue Rangers, so I don't know if if people demanded the 65 episodes or if that's just as long as they could go before it was canceled. Um, yeah, I'm cu- I'm curious to, cu- curious what would have happened had Rescuers Down Under been more successful if we would have continued to get more rescuer movies. So um, yeah, uh, Jane uh, Man Called Jane from Twitter, I ask you, what would you do? Would you do a TV series or would you do more movies for the rescuers? Uh, from our Fox and the Hound episode, Cecily wrote, Wow, you guys sure picked the week to talk. Oh boy, yeah, we did. You guys sure picked the week to talk about Fox and the Hound. Do you find it difficult to set aside what's happening in the real world when you watch films each week? I don't think I would have been impacted as strongly by Todd and Copper's relationship if it hadn't come up in the library the week that it did. So incredibly powerful and poignant, and I almost think it's the most poignant of the 30 films you've watched so far. No other film had as much to say about the world. You've done some interesting deep dives with the package films and 101 Dalmatians, but Fox and the Hound is incredibly powerful. Yeah, uh, that came at just the right time, or the wrong time, I don't know. It came at a very interesting time for us to to discuss the content of that film and you make a very fair point there about the poignancy of that movie there isn't another one at least in the 30 we've watched so far that has as much to say as fox and the hound i'm trying to think right now as i'm talking you're right that that movie that movie really struck a chord and it's and it's rewatching it and, and myself rewatching it. Um, obviously, struck a chord with Jeff. It, it maintained its number one slot until Beauty and the Beast, um, which was which was going to be hard to beat anyway. Uh, it, it is it is tough sometimes to separate. It's like I was saying with the Alice in Wonderland episode. It is tough to it, it's it's a little difficult to separate personal just the, the everyday life from the viewing experience. Uh, we we do our best. I think Jeff and I do our best to separate our reality from our reviews, uh, but it's hard not to sometimes. Um, and Fox and the Hound was definitely an occasion of that. Uh, it really did come in a bad week for this country, after a series of bad weeks for this country, and um, 
Yeah, yeah. I, there isn't there isn't one. There isn't a more poignant movie in terms of what it has to say about uh, relationships and society and and the world than Fox and the Hound. Um, yeah, thank you, Cecily. I, that's I'm glad that uh, you could appreciate what the conversation we had had about it and the movie itself. So yeah, tip of the hat to you. All right, over at Twitter, Turks <laughs> at Turks Baby. I love some of these. Some of these names are so good. Um, at Turks Baby, TC and Jeff have. A, oh, this is the one I was talking about before. TC and Jeff have officially been cast in a Gergi and Gaston film coming this winter. Gaston. <laughs> yes, Lafou. Uh, yes, Gergi. I wish Jeff was here to do his Gaston, but <laughs> I. Just, I think it's because Gergi sounds so damn close to Smeagol that I was able to just do that and and get the <laughs> and get the voice. But a Gergi and Gaston movie, nobody wants that. <laughs> even even if you were gonna hire me and Jeff to do the voices, which I'm not saying no to, because that would be a hell of a lot of fun. What would a Gergi and Gaston movie even be? I suppose with the magic of Beauty and the Beast universe. The Black Cauldron could exist in the same uh, universe as as Beauty and the Beast. So, oh boy, Gaston teaming up with Gurgi in the Black Cauldron universe. <laughs> there might be something there. Okay, we are conceptualizing shows. That's what this whole episode is about. This whole bonus episode is all about conceptualizing uh, uh, new spinoffs and reboots and the Gurgi and Gaston movie that Jeff and I will be voicing um, I, I look forward to seeing what happens. All right, that's enough of that. Uh, at ma ma ma. At. <laughs> okay, I got it. At ma 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 my fedora. <laughs> great mouse dicks. Uh, oh, great mouse detective. Lee. Great mouse detective. Seriously, that movie was balls, guys. Hashtag not so great. Hashtag. Badzel. <laughs> okay, so you're not a fan. You're not a fan of Grey Mouse Detective. Um, so your 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 opinion's valid. That I understand. I can understand why people wouldn't like the Grey Mouse Detective. But myself, being such a fan of Sherlock Holmes, particularly the uh, the um, Benedict Cumberbatch version, the Grey Mouse Detective feels like the G-rated version of that show that you could show someone the Great Mouse Detective and then if and let them grow up a little bit and then you could show them Sherlock. I don't think there's there's any stretch of the imagination there. But uh, I'm sorry, Fedora, that you disagreed. But thank you for listening. Uh, Al- uh, from our Oliver and Company episode, Terry says, "Thanks for ruining Oliver and Company for me. I loved that movie since I was six, and because I hadn't seen it in over a decade, I decided to watch it after you two trashed it. And wow." Just freaking wow, did I remember this movie being so much better. So thanks a lot. Now all I, all I can love about it is my orange tabby Oliver, named after the title character, my love for Joey Lawrence, he was the voice of, of Oliver, um, my chihuahua Tito, and why should I worry, frowny face, frowny face, frowny face. Hey, I'm sorry that we... That we ruined the movie for you, but we didn't make it. We just brought it to your attention. So Terry, I'm 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 so sorry. I I hope you can continue to love that Billy Joel song and the Huey Lewis song that opens up the movie. Show some love for the man, Huey. Um, and you do have your Joey Lawrence Teen Beat cover posters. I'm sure you can have those too. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I I I. Uh, Maybe I have an axe to grind against Katzenberg, um, but I feel like we have not seen that is the most um, Katzenberg uh, influence we saw in a film was Oliver and Company, and that movie just doesn't work. And I'm and I I'm sorry we ruined it for you, but um, I'm also glad because now you know the truth. The truth shall set you free. Now when someone asks you your favorite Disney movie, you won't say Oliver and Company and get dirty looks. You can you can say something else. Hopefully something better. Uh, back to Twitter. At Dan E. Yes, Little Mermaid for the win. I am so, so happy that this movie held up. That's the difference between Oliver and Company, which did, does not hold up, and something like Little Mermaid, which more than holds up. 
I made it my number one. I could. I was just so genuinely surprised at how how much that movie held up. Um, so here we go. So Thomas, Thomas asks, top five arbitrary number or your choice characters of the first thirty. What are you okay? What are my favorite characters of the first thirty? Okay, I did. I did give this a little bit of thought earlier. Another freaking cop car is driving by. Jiminy Cricket, Merlin, Scuttle from Little Mermaid, Robin Hood, and Captain Hook. There would be my five of the first thirty films. Those are some. Oh man, those are all dudes. I'm sorry. That's my that's my guy showing right there. Um, well, well, that sounds inappropriate. Don't uh, <laughs> hashtag guy showing. Um, Jiminy Cricket for being the conscience. Merlin for being the wild-haired Doc Brown, Scuttle for being the wackiness that he is, Robin Hood for being the hero he is, and Hook for being one of the best villains and sympathetic, even though he does murder a guy the first time we see him. I just feel bad that he has just lost, he's just lost his mind. All right, so let's go over to Wyatt, who has asked, of all the non-princess heroines supporting characters, oh, this, this helps, I just named five guy characters, so this will give me an opportunity to name some females. Which would be your favorites? Okay, so non-princess heroine supporting characters. Who would be your favorite? Oh, okay, so he Wyatt says, I think I know TC who TC would pick, but I would, could be wrong. My pick would either be Alice, Wendy, or Miss Bianca. Perhaps I just love charming but aloof British people in media. <laughs> I don't know. Non-princess heroines. Hmm, okay, that's a tough one. Non-princess heroines. Okay, so Belle became one, so she doesn't count. I do really appreciate how booky she is. I think it's probably who you thought I was going to say, Miss Bianca. She's just so classy. Um, uh, Penny is a cute little hero as well. Uh, very proactive, as we mentioned in our rescuers. I'm a, and I'm a sucker for the Brits too, but... Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say Miss Bianca. Uh, she's just a, a best overall female, and specifically in the Rescuers. Not so much the Rescuers Down Under because she did be she was relegated to the prize, and it was more Bernard's movie. But in that first one, she's such a proactive, uh, empowered, capable, kind, classy woman. <laughs> she's a mouse. Yes, I know. But uh, yeah, Miss Bianca, I think, would be the best non-princess supporting character. Um, all right, so uh, next question here from the Facebook page. Uh, Disney, within 50 years, has shown villains that are on both sides of the spectrum from truly sinister demons to aloof witches to sperm whales, <laughs> to a sperm whale. Of these types of villain, which do you prefer? I personally go for the darker ones like Coachman, Maleficent, Cinderbog, and the Evil Queen. While, they're, while they are only one-note villains, I really like their... Uh, they're so mysterious... It causes the viewers to not watch, uh, not only watch the film, but also use their imaginations to fill in the gaps. That was from Wyatt. Villains. I like villains who drive the plot. So McLeach, uh, though Rescuers Down Under might not be the best film, he's a cool villain because he he genuinely drives the plot forward. Um, uh, Cruella Deville's similar to that. Madame Medusa's similar to that. But yeah, there's, oh, there's something about those forces of nature characters like Maleficent and the coachman yes thank you for remind reminding the world of the coachman from Pinocchio being this devil of a character like literally transforms into a devil at one point um cool cool villains there um and, and he's easy to forget but I like I like the ones with layers I picked Captain Hook just a bit earlier we talked about Gaston as this amazingly developed uh villain in Beauty and the Beast there's just way more about them than a lot of the other villains, uh, even if it's only subtextual. Like Hook is just so pathetic. He has he has been driven mad, insane by Peter Pan. He's just completely lost his marbles. Marbles in it. it. There's something great about that. He's designed really well. He moves well, but just him as a character, I feel bad for the guy. <laughs> uh, and he's got a cool gimmick with his uh, sword fighting and his hook hand, um, his namesake. Uh, Radigan. Radigan's kind of a cool villain, too. You know what? Radigan is the... He's the Hans Gruber of the Disney animation villains. He's he Because he... Think about this. Think about it. He fancies himself 
a sophisticated mouse, mouse, but he's just a thieving, stinking rat, right? Isn't that Hans Gruber? Like, Radigan's the diehard villain of, eh, whatever, maybe not. <laughs> uh, that makes him a bit more interesting, but, um, like, then, well, I mean, that's, she, he, those characters are far more interesting than someone like Cinderella's stepmother, who is, like, what's her deal, right? I mean, her, Cinderella's dad married her. I mean, how good of a guy could he have been if he couldn't see how evil she was? Well, okay, anyway. Uh, Evan from Facebook asks, if you had to make a supercut... Okay, so I alluded to this earlier. If you had to make a supercut of Disney moments for a Halloween marathon, like what the Disney Channel used to do in the 80s, what would you include? What are the scariest Halloween-esque moments of, of the... Well, Fantasia has a bunch, but particularly Bald Mountain leading the way. Uh, I'd say... Um, uh, Maleficent's fight with Philip in Sleeping Beauty has got some pretty scary scary imagery. There's definitely imagery from Black Cauldron with the skeletons and the, and the horned king, blah, like zombies practically. Um, what else? Gaston attacking the, the beast is pretty messed up. Uh, well, essentially, are we trying to create a supercut to give kids nightmares to not like? Uh, Disney movies, then we got the, the oh the little the things that Ursula Ursula turns the other mermaids into those creepy little like <laughs> those are kind of weird, of uh, frightening. The coachman being the devil is kind of scary. The rat from from Lady and the Tramp is kind of creepy when it attacks the baby during the thunderstorm. Um, Oh, geez, the uh, the headless horseman from uh, Ichabod, Mr. Toad. I can I can even remember, and you might this might be what you're thinking of that supercut of of on the Disney Channel. I remember that the horseman throwing the pumpkin head being used in commercial spots around the Halloween season. Going further, that Evan also says apparently Disney released a movie called Music Land in the '50s that was basically the non-boring bits of Make My Music Melody Time. Um, packaged together with no filler how does that collection stack up against the ones you've reviewed it's the best right yeah oh yeah i haven't seen this but just based on you have your list of what's in here like all the cats join in blame it on the samba casey the band yeah taking the best of all those package films that makes the best package film just get rid of the ones that don't work get rid of the ones that don't have like a have any fun to them package that all together and you yes you have the ultimate package film well if that if that exists out there that people can watch that's what i would point to and say hey watch this you don't unless you're a diehard you don't have to watch all the package movies just watch this one <laughs> good tip though i'll have to check that one out uh why it's once again another why question here which is fine because we you've given me you guys have given me an ample amount to talk about so i'm happy to to keep babbling if you're happy to keep listening is uh, if there was any film that you would want to see a straightforward adaptation of the fairy folktale or novel, what would it be? I think Little Mermaid would be good way uh, would be as good the way Hans Christian Andersen conceived it. But I love the Disney version as much. Uh, a lot of those original versions are dark, 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 dark. I've said I've said on my one minute rewatch the YouTube show that I do that. Back when a lot of these fables and fairy tales came out, it was easier to tell people not to be dicks when stepsisters got their eyes pecked out or crickets got stepped on. But we we don't need to put the fear in people anymore. <laughs> uh, fairy, fairy tales and folklores are entertainment now. Whereas in their original conception, Hans Christian Andersen and the Brothers Grimm, um, and a lot of these classic stories were parables. They were used as lessons. They were used to to educate, and um, and we don't need that anymore. We need they're, they're, most of the stuff is made for fun first. Although although maybe we could use a little more thunder and fear now and then. But I think that's something that Pixar thrives at. Or if you look at like Zootopia, having having something to say, or Fox and the Hound. If we want to stick with the library we've watched so far. I think, as far as adaptations go, Sword in the Stone, um, or Alvar and Company, shoot, they, they missed a huge opportunity. We said this on our episode. We, they missed a huge opportunity by not adapting 
Oliver Twist into Cats and Dogs. Like, if they had just done that, the movie probably would have been a huge hit. If they just, they should have just stuck closer to the source material. Um, yeah. Well, guys, I have actually managed to answer every question and tweet that I had at the time of this recording. Thank you so much. I this was a lot. This went a lot longer than I thought. If you actually made it to the end here, thank you for listening. Um, I, I this went a lot. This this went uh, smoother than last time. I wasn't able to. I didn't feel as nervous about it. Um, but uh, yep, yeah, thank thank you for listening. I, um, let's do a quick plug here. So if you are listening to this, wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, like, share, comment. Um, keep us keep us help us keep the lights on and let us know that we're doing a good job. We appreciate you guys listening. We're having a lot of fun making the show. Uh, I want to do a quick plug for Lindsay and Colin's Top Shelf, Top Shelf uh, Oscar, uh, Top Shelf Oscars, where they are watching the Best Picture winners from all the Oscars in the 80-year history of the Academy Awards. They have been working their way backwards. So um, I want to do a quick plug for the Technophiles that uh, Technophiles Let's Plays that I've been doing with Dave Geisler over on YouTube. Uh, search Technophiles. It's also linked on the page here. David uh, Geisler's been great. Uh, it's been a lot of fun doing those with him. Uh, and we're, we're it, it helps as a good uh, supplemental material for you guys to stay entertained over the course of the week. Jeff and I are working on some other ideas for other bonus materials for you all. Uh, like I said, this was not as difficult this time to do this, but I would never want to do this regularly. My throat is very dry at this point. It's nice to have a conversation with people instead of just talking at a computer screen and a microphone. Uh, love you guys, but uh, I need human interaction. I got the cat here. That Oh, and the cat's gone. I'm alone. Ah, such is life. Uh, Jeff and I will be back next week. Oh, you know what? Before, I want to plug one more thing because I don't think Jeff promotes it enough. Go, if, go to ghosthat.net. Check out Jeff's most recent short, Upstairs. Perfect perfect for the October Halloween season that uh, this episode you're listening to was uh, was recorded but perfect for all times of the year because it's this it's a fantastic short film Jeff doesn't want to toot his own horn so I will toot a horn for him go watch upstairs it's a great little uh, little short film that uh, Jeff wrote and starred in with our friend Max Olmstead seriously take take the take the 10 minutes you need to go over there give it a watch I swear you won't be disappointed. And I guess since I'm doing a little promotion for him, I will do a quick little plug for myself. If you enjoyed hearing me talk about just all I've talked about today, if you enjoy hearing me babble about films, I do a monthly YouTube series called The One Minute Rewatch. You can search it on YouTube, One Minute Rewatch, TC DeWitt. You can also find it on the BitLife Show channel. And what I do is I try to review a film in 60 seconds or less, Occasionally, I will do extended episodes, which of recently, I, if you want a sneak peek about my feelings regarding one of our upcoming films in this library, my September episode of the One Minute Rewatch does delve into a little bit of Disney and gets you a little bit of Katzenberg history. So uh, check out the One Minute Rewatch. Um, I've done some other Disney stuff in the past. I did the Snow White and the Huntsman. Um, so yeah, check that out or don't. It's up to you. Um, with all that being said, thank you very much for listening, and I will be back next week with Jeff. This is enough battle. The music is playing me out. Hey, uh, this this right here, this was a podcast. I was the person talking, and this is a sign-off. This has been a production of Ghost Hat Media, proud member of the Ghost Hat Network. Find them online at www.ghosthat.net. <laughs> I like the ending.